Hi, I'm Kara Swisher. I'm Peter Kafka. And thanks for listening to Recode Replay. This is one of the sessions from our 2017 Code Conference. We're going to let you hear it in just a second for free. You're welcome. But before we do that, we want to plug another conference. Okay, fine, if you insist. I must, I must. You must Um, insist. If you like this event, there's a very good chance you're going to like Code Media 2018. February 12th and 13th in Huntington Beach, California. 2018. I can't believe it's next year. Next year. Absolutely. Save the date. Peter and I will both be there, which means it's going to be a fantastic event. I've been to all of them and I have learned things. I would actually pay for them, Peter. We may charge you this year. Uh, One more time. That's Code Media 2018. It's like this event, but it's in 2018. February 12th and 13th. Go to events.recode.net for all the deets, as the kids say. As the kids say. Thanks, Peter. See ya. We're going in a different direction, uh, and a different direction than Hillary Clinton in a lot of ways, uh, with our next guest, Evan McMullen. So, um, Evan, you're a Republican, is that correct? Actually, I'm, I'm a registered independent. But? If we're going to focus on facts. For, <laughs> well, you're at the wrong conference. No. <laughs> yeah. um, sure, we can focus on facts. But you were the policy director of the House Republican Conference. conference. That's right. yep. So in my mind, that would make you a Republican. Yeah, you were know, a I'm a, I'm a, I've been a, a registered independent for as long as I can remember. But I am a conservative and until this last presidential election, I've always voted Republican. Yep, that's right. Aha. Yeah. But you didn't do that this time. No, this time I didn't. Okay. I'm not going to... I think it's kind of rude to ask people who they voted for, so I'm not going to ask you that. Uh, <laughs> the answer might be obvious. But. Okay. Um, you ran in the presidential election. I did. Want to explain up, to yeah. people what you did quickly? Yeah, so I, uh, I ran in the last three months of, of the election, of the general election, as an independent candidate. Um, I did that because I, I felt that uh, we needed a better option. I was, um, of course, had the, the standard uh, objections as a conservative to Secretary Clinton, but I felt that Donald Trump was purely dangerous and, and somebody on the, on the right had to present another option. So, uh, so that's what I did, uh, failing to convince anybody better to do it instead. And I had tried that for a long time, too. And how many states did you carry? Uh, zero, surprisingly, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Shocker. Well, you got into it. To be fair, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to do it as an independent <coughs> anyway. No. But you got to get into it early enough to get on the ballot. In the yeah, but this, was, this wasn't the point. The, the point was to stand on principle for basic fundamental ideals that uh, we felt, especially on the right, my running mate Mindy Finn and I, that, and, and my team, our team, were not being represented. Namely, uh, the defense, we, we, we stood in the race to defend uh, basic ideas such as liberty, equality, and truth, these sorts of things, uh, and all that comes with it, you know, all the governance, the separation of powers, free press, you know, sovereignty, free and fair elections, free from foreign interference, all of these things we stood to, stood to protect. And we knew that, you know, electorally there was a near impossibility of our winning, but that wasn't the point. Okay. Um... That way, and it was the beginning, not the end. I mean, we, we recognized that somebody had to stand, as we did in the election, on the right uh, for these things in order to be able to fight afterwards 
especially in the case that Donald Trump won, which was the case. And I want to find out what you're doing now. Yeah. Uh, and I, then I want to go back to your past, because another thing about him is that it was, what is it, 12-year career? 11 years. 11 years in the, in the CIA, on the covert side of the CIA. And, we, and we, I think there's something to be talked about here with regard to the intelligence community. Mm-hmm. But um, I want to go back to this question of, uh, I get it, you're a conservative, I get it, people can be genuine conservatives and not Republicans, people can be Republicans and not genuine conservatives, I understand that. Mm -hmm. But you were the policy director of the House Republican Conference, Yeah. right up until not that long ago, right? August 8th. August 8th, Mm -hmm. that's not that long ago. No. Um, Why did you leave that job? (coughs) Excuse me, well just, you know, I saw the rise of Donald Trump as something that needed to be that needed to be resisted, <laughs> uh, and and uh, Paul Ryan wasn't resisting it. Uh, well, Republicans in general, I think, uh, you know, there were different phases as they went along, but ultimately they decided to get on board. I had spent my time try, time trying to convince Republican leaders not to do that, and trying to convince some to run as conservative independents against Trump and against you know, against these dangerous ideas of these, the demagoguery that he, uh, that he advanced during the campaign. So, you know, I talked to members of Congress, business leaders, others did this too, you know, tried to convince former presidential candidates to run. In the end, none, none decided to go for it because um, I, despite their concerns, their way of thinking about the problem, I think, was very traditional. And so in the end, it sort of required somebody that perhaps had less to lose uh, and uh, somebody who was thinking about it a little less traditionally, and, and, and that was me, and that was my team ultimately, and Mindy Finn, and so off we went. So, one more on, on your congressional time, mm-hmm. um, and it's something that I've heard from a couple of, I live in D.C., and I used to be a, a, a D.C. reporter before I became a tech reporter, and uh, I have heard this from a couple of smart people in Washington, and actually Hillary Clinton uh, alluded to it in her interview, that there was a possibility, there is a possibility, that Trump will make enough mistakes or continue to fail to get traction on his policies mm-hmm. to the point where the congressional Republicans, particularly uh, McConnell, mm-hmm. I know you were on the House side, but mm-hmm. who is a very wily, smart politician, mm-hmm. decide they have to put distance between themselves and, and, and the president. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, a lot of them, you can correct me if I'm wrong, don't actually regard Trump as a genuine conservative Republican anyway. No. Um, do you think there's a chance that the I mean, you, you certainly know the leadership on the House side. I don't know how well you know the Senate leadership. Uh, do you think there's a chance there will ever be, they will ever decide there has to be daylight between the Republican Party, the Republican ideas, and the president? Yeah, I, I do think there's a chance, and I, I tend to believe that it will happen, but it's really about where the American people are. And with regard to Republican leaders, it's about where Republican primary voters are. And so... You know, up until sort of recent in the last couple of weeks, especially the firing of James Comey, which you know had an impact, I think will prove to be an inflection point as we look back on all of this. 
Um, but, you know, Trump's support among Republican primary voters has been extremely strong. Now you start to see that it's a lot of that support is moving from, you know, I strongly support the president to right. I somewhat support the president. There's been some erosion. And the overall number has decreased from extremely high to very high. Uh, so progress is being made there. And I think as, as we continue to learn the truth, to, as we continue to pursue the truth, um, I think that trend line will continue. And I think as it does, then you start to see Republican leaders peel off. And then if, you know, legislative action is required to protect the country, uh, then I, I think that can happen. So talk about what you're doing now yeah. to fix the system, if that's what you're doing. I don't know, maybe you're not doing that, but well, you, know, you as have I, an organization. Yeah, what, what it's called it? Stand Up Republic. It's a 501c4, it's a nonprofit. And uh, you know, we, we viewed the campaign as the beginning, not the end. Uh, and after the campaign, we, we launched this organization, actually the first week of the president's uh, tenure, uh, the week of his inauguration. And we are standing and promoting, defending democracy in America, democratic ideals, norms, and institutions, which means continuing to grow. I mean, that sounds pretty anodyne. I mean, what, what does that mean? Well, it's absolutely, absolutely necessary now. You know, we do this overseas, but it's necessary that we do it here. So it, it involves growing a, a national network of, of people, a grassroots network that we then leverage to put pressure on members of Congress. To do what exactly? When you talk about defending democracy, that all sounds mm -hmm. great, but what do you mean? What are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about first... I understand you're talking about that you consider Trump dangerous to our system and democracy mm -hmm. and that part, I don't think I need you to explain. I, I get that. But yeah. in general, what do, you, what do you mean? What's not there in the minds of people who aren't? Well, there's something, there's something very basic. Harvard has this research out that shows that only 30% of Americans born in the 1980s uh, claim that living in a, in a democracy is essential. Now, that's very loaded, and we could unpack, spend some time unpacking that. But it's pretty alarming that 30% yeah. of Americans born in the 1980s only that, think it's essential to live in a democracy. As you get older, then you tend to think it's more, or the, the age groups as they get older, they tend to think living in a democracy is more essential, but it's still, for people like me who were born in the 70s, it's still only about 40%. Europe is the same trend line, okay? Theirs is a little bit better, a little bit higher, I think because they face more threats to their, to their liberty, to their self-rule. Um, but it's, it's extremely low there and here too, especially with younger generations. So the key thing is teaching Americans uh, the fundamental, the, about these fundamental ideas, liberty, equality, truth, how our governance system is created on, the, on that platform. Um, but then it's, it's also then, it's educating people, good old fashioned civics education. We do that through digital media. There is no civics in the schools. Anymore. That's the problem, right? But then it's also leveraging that leveraging people for activism and uh, advocacy in Washington. Toward what sorts of policies in particular? Give me three policies that you, your well, organization would like to see people. I mean, I don't, right, mean, with, with I don't mean support for democracy, which mm -hmm. I'm not minimizing it, but I mean a more, a more granular policy. Well, right now we... Controversial see, issue. Yeah, well, well, I would say this. Look, we, we, there's the, the macro issue of defending and promoting democratic Correct. ideas and institutions. There's also facing the current, what we see as a current threat to that in America, which is Donald Trump's presidency. And so one, two of the things that we spent a lot of time advocating for and trying to make happen 
and we've been, I think, successful in, in helping to move the ball forward on this is, you know, a real investigation, real investigations on Russia. The second thing is tax returns, which we have more work to be done, and there's more work to be done. Those two things we find especially critical, but that's more of the, that's a tactical move that we're making or moves that but we're But you're not making. taking positions on, I don't know, Tax reform, choice, or, or tax reform. Or no, I mean, look, as candidates, we had a full scope of positions, and you know, we still, as people do. Um, but Stand Up Republic is specifically focused, and we, our efforts are specifically focused on defending democracy. You, you know, some people, you may think that that's unexciting. I think it's anything but. That. I didn't say that. Uh, you, that's true. You didn't. But, but it, you know, I think people can tend to think of it that way. But we're talking about defending our ability to uh, our self-rule and uh, and so that's what we're focused on right now and we think these things are fundamentally nonpartisan and and there exists and there needs to exist a space so are you, are you working with Democrats Any absolutely Democrats? I mean our, our support base first and foremost is equally spread data show that our support base is equally spread from the far left to the far right and everybody in between. During the campaign, it wasn't that. During the campaign, it was constitutional conservatives who were opposed to Trump. So after the campaign, we've been very focused on this place. There must be, there must be nonpartisan support for democratic ideals, norms, and institutions in this country. If we allow that to become partisan, then we have lost. And that is why you have many people resisting Trump's agenda on the left, and that's all good. Some of it is resisting non-democratic activities of the Trump administration. Some of it is simply resisting the sort of a classic or not so classic agenda of his political agenda. You know, we are we are focused solely on that which impacts our ability to okay. self-rule, our ability to select our own leaders, our ability to hold them accountable, our ability to check their power. All of these things. That's what we're focused on exclusively. And I want to quickly get to a couple of yep. other points. Uh, I want to move into your intelligence career and ask you a few, few things about your thoughts on the role and place of the intelligence community right now. Yeah. But before I do that, I'm compelled as a journalist to ask you about this rumor that's, go that's going around, this allegation that you uh, are the person who leaked uh, Kevin McCarthy's response, Kevin McCarthy being the What's his title? The whip? He's the majority leader. Majority yeah. leader of the of the Republican Party in the House, mm -hmm. saying that Trump was on Putin's payroll. Well, I've I've been on they the record. They fingered you about they, this. They they have, because I've been on the record. You were in that meeting. I was, and I've been on the record many times talking about this. Um, I even wrote an op-ed in the New York Times describing this, not in as much detail as the as as the Post story, but. I've been on record many times talking about this. It did happen. The story was accurate, and uh, and I, you know, went on record again for them on that. But you're not the source of the story. Uh, I am one source of the story. I believe that there are others. Okay. You didn't tape it. No. Okay. Um, let's talk about the intelligence community. Where? What did you do at the CIA, and where? Mm -hmm. I was an operations officer in the clandestine service, and so. Uh, obviously served overseas, that's the, the role of, of, of an operations officer, and uh, served in the Middle East, North Africa, and uh, South Asia. And this was post 9-11? Yes, right after 9-11. You were, you were trying to recruit and run agents or, or 
uh, yes, I did. Spies. I did that. Yes, I recruited penetrations of Al Qaeda and of uh, of foreign governments. Okay, right. but you can't talk in granular detail about exactly what you did when. Uh, I mean, there's there's more that I think can be talked about than not. But yeah, specific operations and people who were involved. I mean, that's right. the sort of thing that you you take to the grave. Okay. Yeah. So, it's my feeling, because mm -hmm. I had a little bit of contact with the intelligence community, because mm -hmm. I covered, that was part of my beat, uh, one of my mm -hmm. beats as a reporter. Mm -hmm. I just look at these stories, and I have to feel like the intelligence community is basically in revolt against Trump, and is, is, is leaking a lot of, is, is being a source for a lot of these stories. Do you agree with me, and what's you, what, if you have, still have friends there, or... Mm -hmm. Any context there? Can you give me, in a general way, a sense of what the feeling is in the national security? Or, or yeah, I mean, I think I think people are concerned, but this this isn't a surprise. I mean, and it's not just the intelligence community; it's the broader national security, foreign policy world. Look, the reason why people in this world were concerned about Donald Trump early on is because they've lived and studied this. You know, they've seen it themselves living abroad. Uh, they've studied it. They've, like me, lived under dictatorial regimes elsewhere. We know what this looks like. We see it coming from a mile away, and we did in this case. And, and, and that is why you saw opposition to Trump during the campaign from this corner, uh, and that is why it continues today. Now, I know in the intelligence and law enforcement and national security community, there remains a lot of concern and anxiety about Trump for the same reasons that it existed during the campaign, the demagoguery, the, the ethno-nationalism, the alignment with Vladimir Putin, the praise for other dictators, the lack of respect for basic human rights. All of these things, have con they, there were clear signs of them during the campaign, and they exist now today in practice. We're seeing it live. And so you do have people in, the cam in, the, in, the, uh, in this world who... You know, I, you know, and I don't have specific knowledge of them. But I don't I, expect you do, but you read the same no, 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 stories but, but I do, and you can see the yeah, fingerprints. Well, there, you know, peop, there are leaks. There are these leaks. I, I actually think and actually do know that a lot of them are coming from Donald Trump's own White House. Okay? Uh, and that's something that I think is he, he blames the intelligence community for those leaks. That's, that's his allegation that has sort of seeped into the common discussion of what's happening. So you don't happening. think it is? No, I think there is some of that, but I also think that it's, all, it's coming from his, his administration as well. But for, for the leaks that are coming outside, look, you know, I never, I never, you know, I never talked to a reporter when I worked at the CIA. It was, you know, anathema to everything that... I had been taught and, and all of that. Uh, and so I can just, uh, it's, it's hard for that to happen uh, for the intel people in the intelligence community, but, but people Not do it. Side, I get the side of the CIA you were on, yeah. it's hard. But there's right. a whole other side of the CIA. Yeah, at a more senior level. And I, I the think analysts. And that's right. Those, those people talk But it does it. happen, and my only point here is to say that for it to happen, there has to be quite a lot of concern among, at this, happen with this frequency, there has to be quite a lot of concern. Now, I sympathize with that concern. I get it. I, I also don't, especially in the early stages of this administration, I don't necessarily blame people for making that decision, although it is a violation of law, and those laws are in place for good reason. But I would say to them, and just in general, that we now are fortunate to have a more credible investigation, at least on the DOJ side, led by uh, Mueller. Bob Mueller, yeah. 
And, and so that's the proper channel, or, or, or going to the Senate. Um, not to say, look, I'm not going, going to judge people who are leaking. I think I, I, I get the, it's a tough call, and they may be seeing things we aren't. Um, but, but leaks do come with a cost, uh, and, and that can be our ability to collect important classified information, especially But the Russia. president is giving away sources and methods. Yeah, but, you know... He's telling the Russians... The last thing we're going to do is justify our actions by those of Donald Trump. I mean, what did you think about that, giving away the Israeli information, and then later in Israel saying, well, I never said Israel in the meeting. Well, he's just... He's sloppy, and it it, it just shows that he he does not understand the realm in which he operates. Or telling this thug that's running the Philippines that we have two submarines Mm. off North Korea. Yeah, he's... He's out of his element. He's out of his depth. Have you ever heard of any... Pre, not just president, but any high-level American official talking about the location of our submarines? No, but, but I do want to be clear that, look, this isn't the first time, uh, this wouldn't be the first time that a senior American leader on either side of the aisle um, said something that he or she shouldn't have in a briefing with a, or in a meeting with a foreign government. Uh, these are more egregious. <coughs> There's a focus on Donald Trump's ineptitude, so I understand the criticism. They are, it is a big deal. Um, But I think we do need to keep it in perspective that he's not the first. Okay. And what, uh, just the last question before we take questions from the audience, and I hope we have some, but um, where do you want to wind up with this movement or this group you're trying to lead, this movement you're Mm -hmm. trying to uh, generate? Where do you think that, what's the end game? Is it to (coughs) somehow get him out of office Mm -hmm. or is it a bigger thing that will, last well past Trump? No, I think it's following the facts, first of all, right now. With regard to the administration, there needs to be a proper investigation. There needs to be transparency on his foreign uh, entanglements and those that are otherwise relevant to his presidency and our governance. Uh, That's what we need to do. We need to follow the facts and then act accordingly. Uh, so let's see where these investigations go. I still think we need a, a, a more serious investigation in Congress. Uh, I'd like to see that, but I do think that the Senate... And they like a select committee? Like a select special committee, that's right. It could, be by, it could be bicameral. It could be one in the House and one in the Senate. I, think, I just think these investigations require more resources. You know, these, just to, you know, for a, for a, a, you know, a baseline, you, you think of ben, the Benghazi Committee, which was a con- controversial committee, obviously... But it had millions of dollars worth of budget, and it had about 40 staffers. This is a much... Same with the Watergate committee. That's right. Which, uh, yeah. And Mrs. Clinton was, re- you know, reminding people she was on the staff of that as a young lawyer. Yeah. Um, that was a right. big operation. And this is a much bigger deal than Watergate. And so these committees need to be better staffed and funded. Um, that's not to say, and I want to be very clear, I do think members of those committees... Uh, there are some who are very earnestly pursuing truth. I don't think that's entirely it's a, the case across the board, and I have concerns that Republican leadership has kept these investigations in standing committees, not providing additional resources in order, in order to limit them. That's my concern. Um, but I do think they're picking up steam, uh, and, and I'm, I'm optimistic about what I see, but I, I still think they need to be better resourced. Okay, thanks. We're going to go to some yeah. questions over here, yeah. Hi. So just Hi. for... Uh, Can you so, identify yourself? Uh, I'm uh, Phil Libin with uh, All Turtles. I know. I knew you were Phil, but for the sake of the record here. Thank you. Um, so just for some context, I was, I was born in Russia, and I, I 
I've always identified myself as kind of a hacker. And so for the first few months of this, I kind of enjoyed the implied notoriety, but it's, it's frankly getting kind of old. Um, and you talk about uh, seeing a new organization as, as defending democracy. Um, I kind of worry when I hear language like that because uh, it seems very morally righteous and it kind of paints things in a very zero-sum and military language. Um, so I was wondering if you could be more precise about exactly who is attacking our democracy, um, exactly why you think they're doing it, and whether or not you mm. think that uh, this rises to the level of a you know, military conflict, which is uh, a lot of what I'm hearing uh, from the Democrats and other people, or whether this is... Uh, you know, the next generation of the kind of propaganda uh, contest that's been going on for, for decades, and, you know, we should just kind of be responding in kind. Who said anything about a military conflict? Well, you didn't, but, but certainly, I didn't. certainly lots did? of, uh, uh, you know... Did Secretary Clinton? Uh, I doubt it. Uh, so John McCain and Lindsey Graham keep talking about, you know, acts, you know, acts of aggression, acts of war. Uh, you hear it quite a bit. So defending democracy is somehow... He's talking about the Russian interference, I think, Phil. Uh, right? I'm asking... Uh, How is defending self-rule and, and what self-rule is based upon, which is the, the inherent truth that all human beings are equal and fundamentally free, how does that have anything to do with war? How is that an act of war? Um, I think... Um, is it an act of war to defend freedom? Uh, I think a, a high-minded statement like defending democracy is worth being more precise about, about what kind of defense, who's attacking it, what's the motivation for the attack. This is the kind of, um, this is just the kind of language that in the, in the previous history of our country has led to some overreaction. Uh, so I want to be careful about uh, what is the, well, what as precisely as possible is the threat and what's the appropriate and proportional defense to Well, the I would say, say the first most fundamental threat is that I believe, and I think data show, that uh, Americans' understanding of, of some fundamental truths upon which our country was founded is slipping, namely, you know, namely equality, namely liberty, and our rights, all the rights in, in, in our system of government that comes from that, okay? But so that's the, that's, that's the, like that's the... Of civic education in school, which you talked about? That's, or that's part of it. I just, got, I just got done explaining that that's what we spend our time in part doing. So that's the first thing. But we also, as it pertains to our most recent election and to related threats that are, we are vulnerable to because of, I, I believe, a, a, a decreasing understanding of these, of these fundamental truths, is foreign interference, absolutely. Russia conducted a multifaceted, sophisticated assault on our democracy during this past election. And we need to strengthen ourselves, strengthen our democracy to, to resist that. We, because we are inherently free, are, we are, are, are uh, entitled to self-rule. We choose our own leaders and they're accountable to us. There's nothing, you know, I, I don't see, I mean, if, if we can't argue for these things, then, then, then I, I don't know where we are. These are just so fundamentally basic. Any other questions? Oh, Rick, yeah. Hi, Rick Smolin. Um, I understand that right now we have almost no ambassadors in place, that Trump has not replaced all the ambassadors that he fired the first week of his administration. How does that impact our relationship with all the, these other countries around the world? Well, look, I think there's just a, it's just part of the failure of the administration to govern. I mean, it's, 
you know, if it's just ineptitude, you know, it's concerning, but, you know, one has to wonder if when, I mean, it's, it's no secret that the administration and, and Trump's top advisors, especially Steve Bannon, have talked about the deconstruction of the administrative state, which I think is a, you know, part of this deep state idea, which I think is really just a, a way of saying that they object to, uh, object to our system, broader system of government. And this is coming from a conservative who believes that the central, that the government, the federal government is too big, that, you know, states should have more power and all of that. But still, they're talking about something very different in the way they've made many of their appointments or not made their appointments, this administration, is consistent with this idea that they want to deconstruct the administrative state. With regard to the State Department, they proposed a 30% budget cut to a budget that's already, you know, minimal. Uh, and I think it's consistent with their desire to see a weakened, uh, a weakened executive branch, uh, which will allow for the empowerment of, of the White House. Is there a timeline by which we have to appoint ambassadors legally, or can this just go on I, for the next four years? Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. No, this could go on. Yeah. Okay, okay well, thank you, Evan. Right, thank you. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. 